Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Neil Garfield Show. Welcome to the Neil Garfield Show, a presentation sponsored by the Living Lies blog, GTC Honors, LendingLies.com, and the Garfield Firm. Servicing all 50 states and 24 countries with news and analysis about the largest economic crime in human history. This program is for general information only and should not be used as a substitute for legal advice or consultation with a licensed professional. This show is not intended as a solicitation for the engagement of any services. And now, sitting in for Neil this week, it's your host, Charles Marshall. Hello, everyone in podcast radio land. It is July 15th, 2021. And here we are again of the Neil Garfield Show. Charles Marshall hosting along with my co-host, Bill Padalo. Welcome, Bill. Hi, Charles. So we've got some uh, very, um, I guess I would say we're continuing on a theme of one could call it, and again, it's about a legal prescription. I will give that usual disclaimer. I'm simply uh, introducing a topic, Bill and I are, for others to uh, get their own discernment about. And, uh, yes, they can seek and should seek legal advice if they intend to take any legal action connected to the topics we discuss on this show. Uh, I will say, though, it looks like open fraud. It looks like the WAMU securitized Trust, quote unquote, that's at the center of this assignment that he'll be discussing. I mean, the assignment was done in 2015. WAMO ostensibly, purportedly, uh, sold all their rights. I mean, selling is not even the proper term. They were essentially uh, extinguished, you know, through various legal moves of bankruptcy with the receivership that they were forced into. Uh, all of their residential mortgage loans at the time, and they were, uh, you know, purportedly transferred over to Chase during that process. And yet here they are with a signature on an assignment. It certainly looks to be the same WAMU entity. Uh, there may technically be a technical explanation to explain it. Uh, I know Bill hasn't seen anything to indicate that. It looks like open fraud. So that'll be topic number one, and then he'll be getting into uh, what he's describing as a double reconveyance situation, and that uh, has the same principal players. They're involved a lot of the time, as listeners know, and that is U.S. Bank and Washington Mutual. And then I will have uh, an update on the COVID front. I think the COVID uh, situation is kind of a semi-permanent public architecture, private architecture in our lives now, for better and worse, and uh, going to be going that way, I think, uh, certainly for the foreseeable future, certainly appears even beyond this year into next year, and uh, no end in sight. So because that has such important implications for uh, our listeners, 
for eviction uh, situations that our listeners are in, some of them, for the mortgage uh, default, the mortgage foreclosure situation that some of our listeners are in. Yeah, the mortgage defaults that, you know, legally aren't even defaults in many cases because of the failure to have a proper provenance of those bringing the default assignments, paperwork, court filings, non-judicial foreclosure process filings. So it's all on the uh, conveyor belt here. And uh, Bill, Neil, and I are dealing with these issues, breaking them all down for our listeners as best we can. And uh, Bill, we'll, we'll go right into this first topic now about the, uh, the interesting Wamu assignment of 2015. <laughs> interesting is uh understatement there, Charles. Uh, well, yeah, I love the term double reconveyance. Um, this is kind of one of the first times in my uh, over 10 years investigating this stuff that I've actually uh, come across a double reconveyance. And, of course, it happens to be with the uh, usual suspects dealing with Washington Mutual Bank and the FDIC and so on and so forth, U.S. Bank. Um, but in taking a step back, uh, just to refresh listeners' memories, uh, if they've never read the article, but back in 2015, David Dan, who wrote Chain of Title, uh, wrote an article for Naked Capitalism, uh, did a story on a situation I was involved. It's called Proof of Ongoing Foreclosure Fraud and Mortgage Document Fabrication in Five Emails. And in that article, he writes, and what happened was I was solicited uh, by Securities Connection, a firm out of Idaho, who was seeking to have fab- a fabricated assignment uh, executed in 2015 to Washington Mutual Bank FA that was missing in title. And so the story really spells out how I was uh, personally solicited to commit a felony, really, for to doing notary fraud and uh, executing. They were hoping that, um, uh, they were, that I would be the party to do this uh, dirty deed for them. And, uh, and so it led to that story. But what we have is uh, a similar situation here. But the reason why... Uh, this situation is so interesting is that, uh, you know, typically with all the fraudulent documents that I see, uh, they're prepared by, uh, you know, third-party uh, entities like Nationwide Title Clearing, and, uh, you know, they outsource this to the fabrication, uh, you know, fixer firms, I call them. And, uh, and it's those firms that tend to churn out, um, these documents claiming to be officers of, you know, all the different banks and servicers, uh, whatnot. So they're fake officers, right? Um, this particular situation is very interesting because the key assignment we're talking about here, the fraudulent assignment, is actually executed by the number one top um, corporate officer, vice president for U.S. Bank Corporate Trust Offices out of Minnesota by the name of John G. Richards, too. And uh, very familiar with this name, uh, been involved in a case where we've done a deposition. We've talked about uh, U.S. Bank's position in these securitized loans and uh, Mr. Richards' deposition testimony, so on and so forth, in other radio programs. And I've posted some of this, too, as well, and, and so has Neil. 
Um, so what's really interesting as I get into the details here is that um, this fraudulent assignment is actually, again, done by the highest corporate officer executing it and notarizing it out of Hennepin County, Minnesota. So uh, getting into the uh, how I came upon this, of course, um, most of the time I'm dealing with foreclosure-related situations or uh, in foreclosure in judicial or non-judicial states. And, and I've talked about this and we've touched upon it in the past that there's an enormous amount of fraud and fabricating and uh, forging of documents on the other side of the fence when it comes to these satisfactions and reconveyances. This, the, the, the land records are absolutely uh, polluted with the same documents, but very few people are really looking back and looking at their title and, and investigating it from the fraudulent reconveyance satisfaction aspect. So I was going into a, uh, just a small, obscure county in Oregon uh, looking for some information on a case, and I happened to hit a buzzword that suddenly uh, triggered an enormous amount of hits during a time period from, uh, you know, of course, after the crash, 2009, all the way up until current time, um, of these documents, these uh, reconveyance documents especially, that were all in the name of Washington Mutual Bank. And I started looking at them closely, and uh, it's like, what the heck is going on? Obviously, I recognized right away it's like hitting a vein of gold when you're mining, right? So I strike this vein, and I start going through document after document after document. And, you know, many of them um, are coming out of nationwide title clearing of Florida, a big name that everybody's familiar with who – uh, continues to churn out this fraudulent stuff, um, executing uh, reconveyances on behalf of Washington Mutual Bank uh, as attorney in fact, and they're saying that they have proper authority, they verified the authority from the beneficiary of Washington Mutual Bank, and these reconveyances are, of course, happening you know, years after the FDI receivership, and there's no mention of FDIC, so on and so forth. Now, going back to this particular assignment, the double reconveyance, and what's so interesting about this, and it, it's kind of a little difficult without a visual being on radio, so you kind of have to you know, visualize a whiteboard and a time frame here. So I'm just going to try to walk through the steps of what happened here. So in 1998, uh, borrower takes out a deed of trust and a loan uh, with uh, – a particular lender, just an average lender that was probably a correspondent lender or whatnot. And then right upon the heels of executing that deed of trust, an assignment is then executed by that lender to U.S. Bank as trustee. Now, what's back in that day, uh, an assignment to U.S. Bank as trustee is very um, vague because it doesn't identify uh, you know, any sort of trust or who U.S. Bank is acting as trustee on behalf of. But anyhow, uh, the originator assigns and sells it to U.S. Bank as trustee. And that's in the very next year in 99. Then we uh, come to um, 2004, and the borrower appears to go to refinance with Washington Mutual Bank, and they take out a refinance loan for close to the same amount as the original loan. And 
and in doing that refinance, a reconveyance, the very first reconveyance pops up where Washington Mutual Bank, who does the refinance, also executes the reconveyance uh, without ever having the, the loan assigned to it. Uh, and they do it referencing the originating uh, lender from 98, and they do this reconveyance uh, saying that it's been completely paid in full, so on and so forth, and they do that in um, right, right on the heels of this 2004 um, refinance. Now, we skip years and years and years ahead to 2015, and the homeowner, after um, all these years, is now looking to sell the property, and uh, clearly someone's doing a title search, and, there's, and they see that there's an assignment to U.S. Bank back long ago, and there's no um, reconveyance from U.S. Bank. So uh, they clearly have problems um, with no assignment and the fact that Washington Mutual Bank reconveyed that deed of trust from 98 in 2004 saying it was paid in full, but it was a false, uh, you know, just based on the title record, that's a false reconveyance. So what is needed, all right? Well, what's needed is uh, an assignment um, to try to clear this, this issue up, and that's where uh, in 2015 U.S. Bank comes in and the corporate officer, John Richards, uh, too, uh, comes in and executes this assignment of the deed of trusted note with all money due and owing and so on and so forth uh, in 2015 uh, to Washington Mutual Bank F.A. using an address of a high-rise tower down in, McCall in San Antonio, Texas, without any uh, suite number or whatnot. Um, and so, obviously, uh, this assignment of the note and deed of trust that had been reconveyed and paid off by WAMU in 2004, 11 years later, um, is, you know, uh, bad for all the reasons that uh, you, can, you can imagine here as we've discussed and the fact that it bypasses uh, the FDIC and just goes to this dead entity, WAMU FA. And, um, and so they need this, they record it, and then on the heels of this assignment, we get the second uh, reconveyance. And that is, uh, uh, <laughs> interestingly, uh, done by the FDIC. comes in and says, um, oh, upon getting this assigned to us, or to WAMU FA, and then we have the control over FA, so they're going out of order here, the FDIC comes in and convey, reconveys title saying, that the same deed of trust from 1998 was assigned to Washington Mutual Bank FA in 2015, and therefore they then take control and transfer and assign title and reconvey for the second time this 1998 deed of trust. All absolutely ridiculous, phony, fabricated stuff, uh, bogus attorney-in-fact language, you know, you name it. So. Um, this is, uh, again, an interesting situation because um, it's, it's my opinion, and I'll ask you, Charles, a little bit here. When you have a, a document that is clearly on its face and valid, clearly if there was a foreclosure situation, this document would be, uh, you know, 
could be just took, destroyed in front of a court, okay? But no one's going to challenge this likely. In fact, the homeowner and the borrower uh, in these transactions and anybody in the chain of title to this property has no idea what they're sitting on here in terms of a potential time bomb and all the fraudulent documents. But, um, but when you have a guy who's the head corporate officer for the corporate trustee willing, in my view, and this is my opinion, that this is uh, a, a, a felony situation, crime, when you're wire transferring, mail wire fraud, you name it, when you're executing these kind of documents as the head guy, head officer, that your credibility is going to now come into play in terms of everything that comes out of U.S. Bank corporate trust offices. And I think this document here should be used and certified and presented uh, against U.S. Bank in just about every case that you come into contact with because this shows what the top personnel and the top officer that uh, trust services is is doing and is willing to do. And I guarantee um, you know, this, they're like cockroaches, these documents. You stumble upon one, and I'll tell you what, there's probably hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands more, circulating in, in land records all over the country where this stuff is uh, it, it's going on. It's not, this isn't an isolated incident, right? So, so I think, um, in, in my view, uh, what do you think on the, in terms of attacking the credibility, saying, listen, we have verified, notarized, fraudulent documents coming from the, the top, for, right, right from the top with, from a known officer. Charles? Well, I think that uh, <clears throat> that reasoning um, is, I'm going to use the word hypothetically, uh, sort of as a disclaimer just to, uh, you know, to give U.S. Bank every possible benefit of the doubt. Um I will say that even looking at it hypothetically, the only scenario that I think would essentially legally launder and legally legitimize this series of transactions is if when U.S. Bank assigned the interest that we're discussing here to WAMU, and then after that time, the FDIC is brought in Presumably, this will all have to be unwound, so to speak, with further dissection. Presumably, uh, to try to tie it back to the, the bankruptcy of 2008 uh, to, to essentially legitimize what's happening here in 2015. But facially, it's a legal nullity for U.S. Bank to transfer to a WAMU securitized trust which trust, again, on its face, appears to be uh, very much a part of the, uh, the securitized trust loans and the trust in whole and in part that were... Well, this wasn't... Just a reminder, Charles, this isn't an assignment to a trust. This is just an assignment to Washington Mutual Bank F.A. Um, right, and- and yeah. So, uh, uh, so it's, it's it's directly there. So the, I don't even have in any of these assignments. Um, I don't have an actual trust name identified. It, clearly, U.S. Bank as trustee, who's executing this as custodian trustee, is representing something, but we just don't know what that is. Right. And unless the legal entity of of the WAMU uh, entity 
the corporate entity FAA, unless they somehow survived the Washington Mutual bankruptcy, and I certainly don't have any information to that effect. If listeners have any information on that, uh, I think it'd be useful to contact uh, you know, try Neil's blog. You can also contact Bill and you know provide the information or the documentation that you have. Because it very much looks like this assignment is a nullity, and it does sound very much in fraud, because it looks as if this legal entity of LAMU is one and the same with the legal entity that, one, was mostly extinguished for legal purposes, and two, certainly the loans they were carrying, the mortgage loans they were carrying at the time of the bankruptcy were all... uh, legally taken out from any right that they had to further claim that they were in control of those loans. So for them to come back as an assignee years later after the bankruptcy, totally irregular, it looks completely fraudulent. Then the FDIC coming in, that looks like some kind of cleaning up effort. Um, I think we do need some more analysis on that, but even even presuming that the FDIC is coming in has some legitimizing impact here, it still does not change the chain of assignment that happened here. Because what happened here is that Walu took any and all legal interest on this loan at issue from U.S. Bank. The FDIC didn't got, come in until later. So, uh, yeah, I think this is really disturbing stuff, Bill, and uh, we need to follow up on on it further. Yeah, I, you know, we've got uh, countless uh, Washington Mutual Bank. Uh, they're still executing reconveyances um, as a dead entity, which tells you that uh, the real party out there, there could be somebody out there that exists. And then you're going to find, and this is the warning to everybody, that uh, you definitely want to get an owner's policy if you're ever refinancing or taking out a loan. Usually when you buy or purchase a property, you're going to get an owner's policy uh, paid for by the, the seller. But if you're refinancing, most people only go with a mortgagee policy to, to protect the, uh, the, the the lender. But you're going to also want to uh, buy an owner's policy because uh, these are the situations that I'm saying we're going to have a huge problem in the future, not just on these Washington Mutual Bank ones, but these MERS reconveyance, for example, where uh, there's a lot of court cases that I've read where these bona fide purchasers and all that are not protected if somebody comes back later on and claims to be holding the original note, especially in these non-judicial uh, foreclosure states. This is a very uh, disturbing thing here, and people need to pay attention. Whether Even if you're in no situation of a default, you need to take a look at your title and land records because uh, the title companies here, um, I don't know who is pushing this stuff. I mean, well, I know who's pushing this stuff through, but um, they're indemnifying, and you've got to read those policies carefully because very little is going to be protected um, when they're aware of these kinds of issues and defects in, in the prior history. So buyer beware and, and certainly uh, get an owner's policy. Oh, yeah, I totally uh, concur with you on that. 
I think that's one of the fundamental ways that you can try to protect yourself from this type of scenario, which, you know, these uh, discontinuities and disconnects, they really are going to continue for for some time because there's so many millions of loans out there under the broadly speaking WAMU Chase U.S. Bank umbrella. So on that note, um, Bill, I'm going to segue into the uh, COVID-19 uh, latest. And you know, I can tell my listeners that the trends there are all pretty much continuing at pace as they have been for some time. Uh, it depends on where you are state-wise, how much real protection is left for both homeowners and those in post-foreclosure where their property went to sale, either in a judicial foreclosure state or a non-judicial foreclosure state where they overnight become essentially illegal tenants. Uh, The situation in California is still protective. And, you know, there are a lot of pressures on the housing market in many different ways that I think, there are also, even among our listeners, a lot of different situations out there. I mean, there are among our listeners, for instance, we've mentioned this before, there are homeowners who may have their own foreclosure situation on their home and or they have a foreclosure situation on the rental properties. Uh, they may have two or three, they may have four, that type of thing. And that situation is really becoming dire for a lot of small-time uh, rental property owners uh, because the the big, you know, sort of bank finance and in some cases even banks spun off legal entities that are involved in huge uh, property ownership and rent out literally thousands of units, you know, all over the country in different places. Uh, that situation, because of all the funny money that's come out of the federal government to shore up the big institutional people, they really haven't taken big hits uh, with all this unpaid rent that's been going on. Um, and they're in a better position to absorb it anyway and to essentially use their financial leverage to, to ride out this whole situation. On the other hand, small-time uh, rental property owners, again, somebody owns two, three, that type of thing, they've taken a big hit, many of them, because they're not getting their rent paid either in many cases, especially in a place like California. I mean, it's good, obviously, for a number of our listeners, and that's absolutely something I support, and that's what I've put a large portion of my legal practice behind, as, as uh, listeners know, over the last 10-plus years. Um, on the other hand, this is having all kinds of perverse impacts. You know, the housing uh, market, mostly in areas where the foreclosure moratoriums have been the most robust, those housing markets are really increasing dramatically in value, and they've gone up a lot especially in the last year. And it's, it's pricing a lot of 
uh, people out of, uh, of being able to transition out of a difficult mortgage situation. It's also creating a havoc with the rental markets, uh, the eviction holds that are in so many places. And again, in California, uh, under a lot of different scenarios, and these are most of the scenarios, both renters and homeowners are protected in California through September 30th now. Certainly, even at the national level until the end of this month, July 31st. So, I mean, I'll continue to update on that because it's such a um, I think listeners have to keep in mind, though, that there these major developments that are happening in the housing market because of essentially the, the stopping of normal uh, economic uh, principles, it is having a huge impact, and it's, it's creating a lot of uh, perverse results. I am glad to report, though, uh, there's continuing positive developments on the front of finally renters who are post foreclosure being recognized as legitimate tenants in California. That's a trend. I'll talk about that more next time. And for now, thank you, uh, Bill. And uh, Neil will be back next week. Take care, Charles. Thank you. The opinions expressed on The Neil Garfield Show are those of its hosts and should not be ascribed to any other persons or entities. For more information about Neil, the blog, or upcoming seminars, please visit livinglies.me. Give us a call at 954-451-1230 or send an email to n-e-i-l-f-g-a-r-f-i-e-l-d at hotmail.com. Thank you for listening to The Neil Garfield Show. If the information has helped you, consider making a donation by visiting livinglies.me.